It has been said that it's the space between the bars that holds the tiger, and it's the silence between the notes that makes the music. It is out of the silence, or the gap, or that space between our thoughts that everything is created, including our own bliss. Join me to explore that space, the space between heartbeats and an actual beating heart, where award-winning pianist and composer Paul Cardall, on the 10th anniversary of receiving a heart transplant, has discovered music that brings peace that can heal the human heart. Discover his story, the insight, passion, and principles behind a most amazing human being and an extraordinary musician on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? Paul, thanks so much for joining us on Therefore What? today. Uh, very excited to have this conversation, uh, both about the, the miracle of your life and the power of your music today. So first, happy 10th anniversary uh, of your heart transplant. Thank you. It's very good to be alive and to be with you today. Thank you. Uh, give us just a little bit of the backstory for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with your extraordinary journey. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your heart condition growing up and then that incredible moment where you did literally get a new heart. I think of us have a family member or know somebody that's got a chronic illness they've dealt with their entire life. And I was born with only a single functioning ventricle. Doctors did, basically told my parents there's no way I would survive. Fortunately, Utah had a surgeon named Conrad Jensen, who was a uh, partner to President Russell M. Nelson, and he knew what to do in a surgical procedure that preserved uh, my heart long enough to where they were coming up with different ideas and solutions of what to do next. But, you know, as a child, it was routine to go to the hospital, and there was always talk of not growing up because I had such a complex heart defect. I had surgery as a 13-year-old to remove an infection. At age 14, I had completely reconstructive open-heart surgery. They had to go in three separate times. And as a 14-year-old, it was extremely dramatic. And yet it was one of the most spiritual experiences you can't buy uh, because I was very close to to death. And as a 14-year-old, it had a huge impression on me. 26 years later, I'd go into heart failure and miraculously, on September 9, 2009, uh, a doctor removed my dead heart and put a donor heart in me. And through technology and all the advancements of where we're at today, uh, because of God's generosity, they raised me from the dead. And uh, I've been celebrating 10 years, 10 years since that miracle. And it is a, an ironic, it's a very ironic life. That we all have, there's so many highs and lows, and yet it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it to fight to live. Oh, that's uh, that's such great insight, and uh, I think something for all of us to to think about. It's so easy to just kind of plug along through the day, but I love this this idea and the way you 
you live uh, in that beating heart. And, uh, you know, a, a while back on this program, we, we went through this in-between space and how, you know, how these great biathletes, uh, world-class gold medal winners, you know, will literally pull the trigger uh, to hit a target in-between heartbeats. Uh, as you've gone through this journey of the heart, uh, what have you learned in the in-between space, whether that was in-between surgeries growing up, whether it's even just feeling that beating heart in your chest today? Day, uh, what have you learned in between the heartbeats? It's a very good question. I've learned two things. One, it's easy to forget everything in your life that has been a blessing. It's easy to forget. And yet there's that need to remember everything you've experienced because so often as we climb a mountain, we're focused on what's ahead of us. But sometimes we look back and we focus too much on everything behind us that maybe we left some things behind us. So, so there's a lot of lessons, a lot of life lessons, but basically it's to remember all that God has done uh, because it is, it is really easy to ca- get caught up in the main flow of things to where we forget and start to neglect. And um, so, I mean, there's just, there's just a, a handful of lessons to be yeah. learned in, that, in those in-between yeah, and I, and I do think that remembering is so important. I had a conversation last week with uh, the Reverend Amos Brown, uh, just a, an amazing figure in and of himself. Uh, you know, one of the last students taught by uh, Martin Luther King before he was assassinated. He's the pastor of the historic Third Baptist Church in in San Francisco, and he said one of the biggest challenges in the world today is that we have lost the rituals of remembering. And that as we begin to forget, as you suggested, Paul, that uh, everything starts to unravel. So as you look at your journey, uh, what are some of those rituals? What are some of the things that help you remember those important lessons from along the way? Well, I think the gift of illness, and I say it's a gift because when we are sick or when I'm sick, it's a reminder that life is fragile. Life is very uh, important, and, you know, you want to have joy and have a good time and live your life, but at the same time, every time I'm sick, it's a reminder that this is this is serious business, that we're here for a reason, uh, there's a purpose behind it all, and um, for me, it's it's a good time to take inventory and reevaluate and plan, so I'm actually grateful for the time I'm sick, and then also I have doctor's appointments that um, are constant reminders, uh, so, so in, in that sense, that's those are some things that have been very helpful. Love that. That's uh, that is so good. Well, I want to get to your to your new album, Peaceful Piano, uh, because I think there are a lot of those important reminders. Uh, clearly, throughout uh, this, I was mentioning before we started that I I listened to this for five straight hours. <laughs> on a very long flight, uh, yeah. but I've I've found that it's it's very helpful to me in terms of of writing and thinking. Uh, there's a real power to it, and so I want to break this into a, into a couple of spaces, Paul. First, you have talked through this idea that this was not one. It is improvisation, but it's not just marathon <laughs> improv drills. You really had a strategy to this whole thing, and so talk to us about that first, and then I want to keep drilling down into into some of the specific pieces. Well, because it's the 10th anniversary of my transplant and my heart has been healed, what I wanted to do was go back to the heart of why I, did, why I do music in the first place. And it's after I received my complex transplant surgery, I started writing all this music. And even as a teenager, when I discovered music, I found that music helps calm and heal. And fortunately, I was able to 
not be given such a good singing voice. And God said, here, just do the piano. And I'm able to interpret all of life's emotions through that instrument. And so to do this particular album, we went to Oberlin Conservatory in Oberlin, Ohio. Uh, Oberlin is an incredible conservatory. I was there 20 years ago as a counselor for Brigham Young's EFY, and they had Steinway pianos all over the campus. (laughs) And so I was a kid in a candy store. And then Michael Bishop, who is a 10-time Grammy-winning classical engineer, uh, we had connected, and he is from Ohio as well. Uh, My wife is from Ohio. We started strategizing, how do we create a moment that I had when I was in the hospital waiting for my transplant? And when I was in the hospital waiting, there was a piano there, and I would go to the piano at night, and I'd just sit and play what I was feeling. I didn't have anything written. It wasn't structured. It was just almost like jazz but it was contemporary, and I used a lot of classical techniques. So the whole idea was to recreate those moments where I'm thinking through these overwhelming, powerful experiences and then interpreting those so in a way that everybody would understand and relate to them. Yeah, man, I love that. I, I want to read you, uh, this is something you have said previously, and I think this is an important lesson for us, not just from a, a musical standpoint, but there's a lot of there's a lot of great life lessons in here. Uh, you said that when you, uh, growing up, that whenever you saw someone, you know, playing something really fast, kind of hardcore stuff on the piano, that, you know, everyone would gather around and watch, and I, I think we've all seen that experience. Someone starts playing some ragtag or, you know, some exciting score from a, a movie. You said you saw that over and over. But then you made this extraordinary statement. You said, but that doesn't always mean they were finding transformative comfort in the music. Tell me more about that. Well, I think we have a lot of extremely gifted and talented entertainers that are, you know, on YouTube. Their numbers are through the roof. They're very entertaining. My goal is to get out of the way because I want people to have an experience with the divine because I believe the purpose of my music is not so much to entertain you, it's to enrich you, because the music I create produces an atmosphere so that the Spirit of God can heal you. I've heard a lot of people say music heals you. No, music's just a tool mm. that, that we use to access spiritual feelings, and I want to get out of the way. Uh, this is why I've never been ambitious about doing a lot of concerts or covering a lot of popular music, it's just not my place. I want people to have an experience the way I had and the way my heart was healed, literally, but has been healed time and time again as I've worked through the challenges of life. So my music is a resource to help you have your heart massaged and loved by the divine. As soon as you said "get out of the way," I I knew you were uh, you were tuned in and and ready. I uh, I have often shared that the greatest compliment I have ever received after giving a speech uh, was an older gentleman who came up to me and said, "Thank you for not getting in the way." <laughs> Uh, and I think that's what right. you're doing with your music is, and and what I especially love about this album is there's this is just you and the piano. There's nothing else. There's no electronics. There's nothing else. And because of that, I think it allows uh, everything to get out of the way, so you can actually have that transformational moment. It's very raw in the sense that it's very vulnerable. You hear everything. You can't you can't bury it with a cello. You can't bury it with module effects or a band. It's very reverence. I aim for reverence Mm -hmm. because of what's happening psychologically 
to us as we listen to that type of music. It's transforming us spiritually. So, so tell me, tell me this, Paul. As you went through uh, the experience of creating this album, again, very unique. It's you and the piano. It's uh, improvisational. As you went through this process, uh, what surprised you? Like, what did you, what did you learn? Was there, was there an aha moment or two as you were going through uh, the creation of this album? I was very nervous to do this because I didn't have anything prepared, and I relied heavily on everything I'd learned in the past. And I relied heavily on asking God to do something miraculous, which he's done so many times in my life and the lives of all of us. And so when I went in, there was such a peaceful, beautiful uh, atmosphere. And because of my, my, my faith, uh, Kirtland, Ohio is not too far away. I had thoughts of what happened in Kirtland, Ohio, Overland College, Lorenzo Snow went there. I thought of all the different people in the beginning of the church, Jesus Christ, Larry Saints, that, that um, went to college there. And then I tied in all of the experiences I had, and I tried to just get out of the way and started playing chords, some phrases. And the Steinway that was there was like, oh my gosh, it was the most incredible. The way that it responded to everything I wanted to do, I'd never in my entire career had access to an instrument as mm. perfect. And then you had the engineer who was very calming in his personality. And he just, you know, as an engineer, he sits in the booth. He's not giving too much. He's not coaching me. It's kind of like me and the piano. And if I blow it, he'll, he'll try. <laughs> he'll just redo it. But, you know, over we booked the place for two days. There were actually three Steinways in the studio. We, I, I went through all three of them. Oh, wow. We had a technician there on hand because this is the studio that all the Steinway technicians uh, they attend this college to become the best technician. So we had a technician on hand, and I just sat and started playing. And over, let's see, it was a two-day period. I laid down 42 songs, and we ended up keeping 18. So it, an hour of music that I felt would have impact in somebody's life. That's... Uh... I have to. I do have to correct you slightly. It's an hour and eight minutes because I've listened to oh, it okay. <laughs> over and over and hey, over. Like, I know exactly how long like it is. Like a normal, <laughs> understand what sixty minutes really is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <It means> Seventy. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I want to ask you about a couple of the uh, the songs in particular. Uh, again, I know all of these are just uh, rich with with meaning, and uh, but one in particular that you titled "Waiting for a Miracle." Just tell us a little bit about that. That that piece was about the 385 days that I waited. I'm sure if they'd ever find a donor heart, because when I was listed for a heart transplant, uh, Elder Dale Renlin was the transplant doctor, and he sat me down and said, "Listen, you've, you're in a bad sh- you're in a bad shape. We we've got to find you a heart." I said, "Well, how long do I have if we don't?" He said, "You've got about a year to live." And I said, "Well, how long would it take if I get listed for a heart?" He goes, about a year, but you have O-positive blood, and that's the most popular blood type, so it might take a little longer. Mm. I said, those odds aren't very good. He said, don't worry about it. Everything will work according to what God has planned for you. And not always what you want to hear from your doctor, but (laughs) knowing who he was, he was extremely comforting, and I don't think he would say that to anybody uh, that that he didn't know uh, their religious background. And so the 385 days of waiting was such a a roller coaster of emotions. A lot of things happened that were really difficult for our family. Uh, 
we lost my younger brother in that uh, taser incident in southern Utah. Uh, we had to go through the process of, of giving some of his organs, his, his eyes, um, and we were on the other side of all that. And then there was a false alarm on Christmas where they had me on an operating table and they were about to operate Christmas Eve and told me, oh, wait, the heart has an aneurysm. We can operate on you or we can uh, not do it. And I chose not to do it and do it later. But so many things happened. But ultimately, with that piece of music, you'll discover there's this moment where everything kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. And it's me surrendering and not fighting anymore. It's me giving up completely to whatever Dr. Renlund, what Elder Renlund said at the time, was things will work according to his plan. And when we surrendered, everything seemed to just flow. And within days, it was a couple of days after, I literally just said, whatever you want, um, is when they came in and said, we have a perfect match for you. And at that time, I was ready to go. And uh, if I if that meant stay here, wonderful. If it meant go to the other side, I figured they'd just put me to work anyways. So, so you, you, you were going to be playing you, music you, either way. <laughs> well, I said to the Lord, I said, you know, when, when you were gathered with your apostles and you're, you're, after the resurrection, you're asking, where do you guys want to go next? And they're all, well, we want to go with you. And I said, I like John's response. <laughs> I said, Lord, please, can I stay? <laughs> Let me hang around here. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like it here. Uh, well, we're uh, we are very glad you uh, have hung around and uh, been a, a real powerful force, a transformational force for so many. And uh, for those of us who have been able to to listen and tune in uh, to hear, this is such an extraordinary and such a unique set of uh, songs and feelings and emotions. Uh, it, it's really just a, a great thing for for so many things, whether you're looking for peace or transformation or inspiration, uh, it creates space for that, uh, for that experience to occur. Therefore, what? Well, as we come down the home stretch here, Paul, the, uh, the program is Therefore What? And so now I get to ask you the Therefore What question. Uh, we've had people listening for the last 20 minutes or so. What's the Therefore What for you? What do you hope people think different? What do you hope they do different after not just listening to this podcast today, but listening to your music? My, my hope as people listen to my music is that they find themselves in the arms of a divine power of love, that there is life after death, and that brings comfort uh, because it puts into perspective so much of this life. My music is a tool to help you access those spiritual feelings that might not always be easy to access through other means. You know, for a lot of uh, Christians, they'll say, read your scripture, say your prayers, read your scriptures. I like to add, say your prayers, read your scriptures, and listen to good music because sometimes that's the extra tool that we need because sometimes we don't feel like it and it helps get us in the mood to feel like it. Oh, love that. Paul Cardall, the uh, album is Peaceful Piano. Uh, It is indeed a beautiful portrait conveyed in sound and in the silences. It's so, so powerful. Uh, Paul, we appreciate you joining us on Therefore What today. Thank you, Wade. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? 
Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on uh, Deseret.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?